Lads, I'm not happy. Oh, oh no. That's yeah. not good. Not happy. We need a new researcher. Oh, why? The statistics that I was handed for today's intro are more than three years old. Oh, well, that's enough. And I'm not happy. Now, it's not acceptable, but I think in fairness that they'll still make the point that's needed to be made. Fair enough. (laughs) Welcome to today's episode, everybody. You see, this week's guest is part of a band who, as of April 2018, had sold 55 million records worldwide, including 16 number one singles and eight number one albums. Add to that his personal accolades of dozens of fesh medals, and a Man of the Match award for the 1995 Sligo Under-16 County Final, and you'll see why we were excited to have him on the show. Keen Egan coming up, folks, but first, Michal, it's great to have you back on the show this week. You couldn't quite make it into the studio with us, um, but you were on, to a, on a special In the Lamplight mission to Berlin last week. How did that go for you? Unbelievable. Best weekend of my life. Like, send me back. I don't care what has happened since I came home. Send me back. It was unreal. Like, we didn't sleep. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're very run down, I would say. You didn't happen to wander into a bar with an old armadillo's arse hanging up in the wall, did you? <laughs> no, not this time. We were uh, looking for one, though. We were looking for one. Well, I know where it is. The next time you go back, I'll give you directions. Lads, what are we doing wrong? Like, Michal's on the podcast a few weeks and he's already got a, a, a sponsored Berlin. trip to Berlin. Like, when, when's our trips coming? I know, but in fairness, like, he may have went to Berlin, but he got stung on the way back. He ate a bad old dose of sauerkraut over there and he's been running over and back to the toilet since he got home. Is that right, Michal? What do you mean? He couldn't, he couldn't make it out to the studio with us today because he's just riddled with it. Yeah. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> How did you get on the streets of Berlin, Michal? Oh, uh, Karen, great crack. I got some wacky answers. You're going to hear them now in a couple of minutes. Well, let's do it. Let's hear how Michal got on in Berlin. Let's get into it. Talking to your average Joes, a random question he will pose. What he'll ask, one never knows. What's your favourite movie? Savoury or fruity? Do you like sushi? Oh, it's Michal on the... Well, lads, what's the crack? Streets. I would call my autobiography about this period of my life, I'm not running away, I'm just moving abroad. <laughs> freedom, freedom, I like to call it freedom, yeah. Disappointing my mum and learning to live with it. What could have been a tragic war story. Stephen McGurn, the story so far. My drunken stories. The best days of my life. A cat a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> Party dancing and coffee <laughs> and alcohol. James McManus. He <laughs> can't spell dyslexic. <laughs> Sexy. Uh, I like uh, like uh, to like to stand in the wind. Uh, like like long flowy hair. It's me hole on the streets. I don't think the last guy got the got the thing at all. Can answers? we just go back there? Because the, there was another pure gold in there, and I the volume was a little bit low, but I'm fairly sure that said. James McManus. You can't spell dyslexic without sexy. sexy. Yeah, unbelievable. That's what I heard. Oh, I want to read that book. <laughs> what a guy. I want it. A cat a day keeps the doctor away. I'm not quite sure what that meant now, to be fair, but it might mean something more prophetic in uh, in Berlin. I, I'm not yeah, sure. I don't know. Maybe there's a bit of lost in translation going on there. So what was the question, Michal? The question was, Kieran, if you were to write an autobiography, what would you call it? So, Kieran, we're going to start off with you. 
Well, Michal, um, I've just finished an autobiography, actually, um, for a future guest. Oh. Yes, we, um, we, we have Tommy Higgins coming up on the show um, shortly. And uh, I read his autobiography just to get ready for the interview. And it was called Just the Ticket. And it got me thinking about uh, the lads on the podcast, you know, and what, what, what we might call each other or what we might call our autobiographies if they came out. So, Michal, I'm going to start with you. Because I know you've had a tough life. Have you done all of ours? Well, I, I have an ideas. I have a few Incredible. ideas. Incredible. Go ahead. But, Ken, be careful. Be careful what you come out with next. Hold on, no. I think because this is going out. Well, well, should I? I think there's more crack in this. I think there's more crack in us uh, picking each other's autobiography names. I think than... I want to hear Kieran's list. Right, let's go. Let's go for it. Right, Michal. Um, You know, life, life on the streets. Life on the middle class streets. Life on the streets, or or street life. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which is better, street life or life in the streets. Living it rough in Berlin with no sleep. Luke, Luke. I love that way more than I thought. Luke, Luke has got to be either uh, sounding off. Luke Devaney sounding off. Brilliant. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sound man. I thought was a bit obvious. Huh? Sound, right. man, sound man. Sound man was a bit was obvious. That. So I thought I thought sounding off now might be a, a better shout. Fabulous name. Very good, right? Rory, Rory Maitland, my documentary in words. Oh I, geez, like, I that. like that. Or Rory Maitland turning the camera on me. <laughs> <laughs> that that one has an undertone, I'm not sure we can keep. I prefer that I like that kind of uh, the documentary one, my documentary in words. Yeah. yeah. Well yeah, there's uh, there's my thoughts on, on ye lads. How about your thoughts on, on everyone else? I've got one I've got one for you. Oh yeah. I've got one for you. Yeah, yeah. Don Quinn Leone running the town from pitch fights to team nights. Oh very huh? good. from pitch fights <laughs> to, to team, team nights. Lads, was everyone else prepped in this? Oh, no. No. <laughs> he was. Dave Kieran was, I'm well, sure. Mihal sent round this this audio for us to listen to over uh, about two days ago. So But sure I didn't listen to it because we're did, not supposed to. I, I did that I Are you out cheating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's my job, lads. My job to be prepared. Very good, very good. Unbelievable, Mihal. Good job. Yeah, thank you very much. How about yourself, Rory? any ideas do you know actually I thought for you as well I was thinking the barber right the barber there's a famous opera the barber of Seville yes mm-hmm. where do you live Colony whereabouts in Colony Mill Falls the barber of, of the, the mill, mill. Oh. <laughs> very good very good the barber of Colony doesn't have that same ring do not quite <laughs> yeah. not quite yeah. doesn't seem as devious um, are you happy with those answers Michal I am if you are Let's move on. Okay, um, this week's guest, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm not sure. I don't think he's ever released an autobiography. If he was, it might be called Key and Egan, World of My Own. Oh, look at this guy. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's a new career for you, Karen. <laughs> anyway, can't wait to get into this chat, folks. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Here's Key and Egan. The Butcher of Clooney has a nice ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Keen Egan, you are welcome to In the Lamplight. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you. And we're roughly the same age, Keen. Grew up in the same town. Um, similar interests, I would say, yeah. but didn't really know each other growing up, if at all. No. Um, what age are you exactly? I'm, wow, there's a, there's a, there's a, <laughs> a, a, on, an interesting on. question. I am 42 next January. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I'm 41. I'll be 42 in April. So yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. Two 1980 babies. There you go. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but I do I do remember coming across you because uh, I did the fesh. Oh, yeah. And you were a nightmare in the fesh, man. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because 
because we would uh, all have our poem or our song learnt off and then you'd come in and Key and Egan would come in and every year you were lethal in the flesh. I remember particularly Tom's Bomb. Oh, yeah? yeah. You yeah, had this poem, yeah. Tom's Bomb, and you had this yeah. big performance and yeah. you were, yeah. You, it was, did the business all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and was it always so, was performing always something you were into? Um, well, you know, the fesh is where it started, actually. Uh, and I was four when it first started. Um, and uh, my mother was was obviously a big kind of supporter of all that style of thing. My mother and my auntie, I have to say, uh, my auntie Imelda. Um, and, you know, they used to just muck around in the house teaching me poems in the kitchen and stuff like that. But um, when I was four, she entered me into the first contest and it was in the Silver Swan Hotel back in the day. Now the Glass House, anybody who doesn't know the Silver Swan. And um, I had Vespers was the name of the poem, which was about this little boy who sat at the kneel of his bed and said a prayer. And I was really, really sick on the day of the contest and she took me to, she took me to the doctors and I had a temp- really high temperature or whatever and the, the doctor was like, oh, you know, he's, he's not well now. And I was like, but mommy, I'm doing the fesh, like, come on, please, please, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you'd know yourself if, if, as someone who entered the fesh, the way they do it is it's alphabetical and I'm E. So like, I'm like first, second, third or fourth, depending on how many kids are in the contest. But I was second that day and I came in and they had run everybody and my mother went up. So anyways, I forced her to make me do it. Right. I was like, please, I want to go, I want to yeah. go. It doesn't yeah. matter if I'm sick. Yeah. So she was like, okay. So we went over anyways and went in and I I had missed the contest, but they let me say the poem and I took home first in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was it. Like I just, year after year after year, the fesh was the thing. And then speech and drama started as I started getting older. Um, speech and drama started when I was about nine or 10 and it just snowballed from there and, you know, dancing with Mary McDonough and then piano and guitar came into it and, yeah. you know, it just yeah. all grew, you yeah. know, yeah. you know yourself. Yeah, yeah but that's... The fesh was fantastic and it's still fantastic. I know it still goes on and yeah. I have a young fella now and I'm, we're slowly starting to, you know, he's sl- slowly starting to show signs of, I have three young fellas, but the oldest, he's slowly starting to show signs of interest in all of that. And I was explaining the fesh to my wife because she's English, she's not mm. from Sligo. Mm. And she was like, Oh yeah, he's doing that next year, you know. So goes to show, like. Oh, very good. You were also a footballer, Keen. Yes, um, big guy, man. Yeah, I spoke to um, Mark Brenny before coming on the show oh, yeah. here tonight. Yeah, Mark's and good, good guy. Yeah, and Mark, because I remember Mark. Um, I was a teammate teammate of Mark's for a while, and uh, Mark showed me this program once from a minor championship match, St yeah. Mary's versus St John's. And you were on one team with Mark and maybe Conor O'Grady yeah. and like Michael Bree, who went on to play at US Both colleges. Michael there was two, two Michael, Michael Brees, Brees yeah. indeed, yeah. The blonde one and the dark one is yeah. what called back then. And one of, one of them went on to play US college basketball, like yeah. had an amazing yeah. career over yeah. there. And on, on the St. John's team was people like Mac, Michael McNamara and of course Shane Filan. Yeah. And, a, yeah. and, a, and it's mad the way it worked out. You know, all those I people. I think I might have marked Shane a few times actually. Really? Yeah. What was your position? I was left half back. Okay. Yeah. And right. he, he, he had a good left foot on him as well, actually, funny enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your memories of the football days at St. Mary's? Amazing memories. Um, you know, again, that started when I was like nine or ten and it would have been Conor O'Grady's father and um, and Cahill O'Donnell banging on my door at nine o'clock <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a Saturday morning trying to get a full squad. Yeah. You know, come on, come on, come on, come yeah. on. And at first, you know, at that age, you're like not really that bothered. But as the years rolled on, we we got quite good and we had a good team. And I remember 
winning the under 12s counties with St. Mary's and then we on, won the under 14s and then the, and it started becoming a bit like the fesh <laughs> whereas no team could take us and yeah. it was because we had the likes of Conor O'Grady you know the two Michael Breeze like we uh, Aubrey Dolan like there was some fantastic players in there um uh, what was Martin's Kieran name? Martin. Kieran Martin, that's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. I mean, some fantastic Gaelic players. Yeah. And they lived for it, you know, and they lived for that and Gareth Kelly and and the soccer. So they both had a mix of that. I wasn't one of the great ga players. I was just a get out. If somebody comes in, I'm going to boot you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can get you. <laughs> the referee catches me, he catches me, you know. Yeah. I was I was a bit, but amazing times with the with St. Mary's. Yeah, we had, we had a fantastic... Um, just great, great buzz. Yeah, you know, it yeah. was a great buzz, and yeah. probably my main sporting thing in in my childhood was was St Mary's. Right. I didn't really have any other sport that I really wanted to play or you know be around. Yeah, if you yeah. like. Well, don't sell yourself short now, Keen, because Mark reliably informs me that you won Man of the Match in the Under Sixteen County Final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, look, I, 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 I was into it. You know, yeah, like yeah, I was into yeah, it, and yeah. but but like that for me as a defender, it was just all about get the ball out yeah, okay. and get it up to the yeah. halfway line. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw over the ball. Let, throw over the bar. Let the lads do the rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So I, I suppose around that time, Keen, we're talking under fourteen, under sixteen. Yeah. Um, you were obviously, you know, you said the piano, the guitar, the mm. speech and drama was all becoming a thing for you. Um, there was a famous show uh, of Greece, which That's brought right, yeah. brought your sh- yourself and Shane and Mark together for the first yeah. time. Is that correct? So that happened actually, funny enough, the first time. So the first time I ever met Shane was in Greece as well, but we were only 11 and 12. And uh, Mary McDonough had created a little part for us in that show. It would have been around the time... Um, when um, what's the lead singer of Indian again Joe uh, Hunt Joe Hunt he played Danny Zuko ah right okay so we're going back like long time 1992 I would have said yeah 91 and Mary McDonough created a little part for me and Shane to walk across the stage and bump into two girls um, I remember one of them being Alwyn Morgan I don't remember what the other girl's name was right and the books would fall over and be like oh Sherry can I carry your books and funny enough uh, do we go together Okay. So that was when that was when I first met Shane. Yeah. And then I didn't really get to know Shane very much after that. We kind of like, oh, you know, here's this guy who's into the same thing as me, but we drifted a little bit. And then in secondary school, um, there was a talent contest and I would have been into guitar bands at this point, probably about 13, 14. And Shane came up to me and says, I want to put a boy band together for this contest. Are you into it? And I was like, Nah, man, I'm in rock bands. I'm not doing no boy band stuff. <laughs> um, so they never did that, but I did the rock band thing. And then the following year, Greece was on in Summerhill College. And that was when uh, Shane played Kanicki and I played Sonny. And that was when I first started to get to know Shane. Mark was involved as well, but he was very shy, very quiet, very background guy. And then the following year, we did the big one. And that was in the Hawkswell Theatre with Mary McDonough. And that was kind of where it all snowballed from doing Greece to like, you know, the Backstreet Boys had become really big, Boyzone had become really big, and there we were singing Grease Lightning and all these songs with like loads of girls screaming at us, and we were kind of looking at, at each other going, like, this is a boy band, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where it snowballed, and that's how the boy band thing really took off and really started becoming a, an idea and... A reality, if you like, okay. you know, let's put a boy band together. Right. You know? And, and so how do you put a boy band together? What happens next? Well, it was quite natural, funny enough, um, because 
you know, the guys that, Mark wasn't the T-Bird, so it was naturally the T-Birds, but uh, there was a guy called Ian Fox in the T-Birds as well, but he didn't want to do it. He had no interest for whatever reason. So there was me, and so we were, but but Mark had, was the teen angel in Greece. Ah, yes. And Mark had the voice and we were like, well, this guy's a singer. Like, you know, we got to have this guy involved. So it just became a bit of a chit chat and then just a bit of a like, well, let's try and sing you know, a Backstreet Boys song or a Boys Own song or a Take That song. And we started doing that. And um, Mary McDonough came in and she was like, you know, we're going to put Grease on again, lads, in a few months' time. Why don't you put like a few songs together and come out at half time and, you know, be a boy band? So we were like, that's a great idea. So we went off and we chose two Backstreet Boys songs and... Uh, she put a little dance routine together for us for one of them and the other one was a, one was a ballad one was an up-tempo and we came out at halftime in white shirts and black trousers and the place went nuts I'll never forget it I'll never forget the feeling because it was just like oh my god this is real like this is this is really happening and it felt instantly like it was like, like I, I had done lots of rock bandy stuff like you know singing TNT and you know Wild Thing and all that so yeah. I kind of knew what it was like to kind of like be on a stage in a band and, and see an audience react but this was like this was you know craziness Okay. and then she put on her, a few months later she said let's put on your own show just just boy band songs just G nobody else and we were like well wow how would we do that and then all of a sudden she put a team around us and, um, you know, they started creating backing tracks and Stefan came in and he started doing the choreography and we put a whole like two hour show together and she put it on sale and it sold out. We did three nights, I think, in the Hawkswell and that was, that was it, you know, and then she, she um, went to the record room and to Kevin Flannery and said, you know, Indian had just done their thing with them and released a record. So she went in there and she was like, well, you know, what about this boy band? So all of a sudden we were in the studio on Lark Hill Road with James Blennerhazard recording, song, yeah, yeah. recording songs. We recorded two songs with James Blennerhazard and we released them through the music shop in Sligo. And, you know, that it just kind of felt like it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And apparently if that song had been chart eligible or that CD had been chart eligible, it would have been number one that week because we sold like 1,500 copies in Sligo, like Amazing. in like yeah. no time. Yeah. So it would have been number one in the country. But obviously back then, I don't think anybody was thinking about that. They were just like, oh, a little local kind of yeah. vibe, yeah. see what happens. Yeah. And um yeah, and then we put on another string of few. We did Castle Re and we did Tesco Car Park. Um, yeah, and it just kind of kept going from there, you know. So that's really interesting, Keen, because uh, obviously nowadays when people release their own music, a lot of people can do it independently and yeah. can do it themselves. But back in nineteen ninety five or ninety six or ninety seven, when this was, that couldn't be done. So that was no. really that was really inventive of you to and of Mary and of the record room, I guess, to yeah. to put yeah. to release music independently well, look, you know, of a record label. There's no there's no debate about it. And you know, obviously Mary isn't part of the of the team now, but Mary at the start definitely had the the idea and how to do it and how to approach it. I mean, we were hungry little, you know, puppies going you know, we want this. We want this, you know. And and that was that was kind of so it was, yeah, it was, it was a big team effort in fairness. Brilliant. Okay. You know? Um, then, so the story goes, uh, Shane's mother, May, rang yeah. Louis Walsh. Is, was that the next big step along the story or am I missing yeah, anything? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, 
Yeah, so she sent a CD to Louis. She contacted Louis and Louis like, send me the CD. So we had the IOU CD. And um, so he sent the CD and Louis says, okay, send them up to meet me. So I can't remember if I went on the first meeting or the second meeting. I went on a second meeting. I think Shane and one of the other lads, who's no longer in the band, uh, went to meet Louis. Mm. And it was just like, they actually went to Ronan Keaton's 21st birthday party. <laughs> right? That was what they went to. So they were invited to Ronan Keaton's 21st birthday party in the Pod Nightclub in Dublin. Oh, yeah. And up they went anyways, and they met Louis, and they came back, and we were kind of like, you know, what happened? What happened? And nothing really happened. They were just sitting around. But then Louis uh, invited us up again, but he only wanted to ever see two of us at the start. He was like, just two E, I don't want to meet you all. You just bring me the CD and just come and say hi. So myself and Shane went up the second time and we met him in a nightclub and we gave him the CD. And sadly, as the story goes, the first thing he did was he put his finger over one head and he went, looks much better as a five, right? All right. Okay. And we were like, oh, okay. You know, like, well, we weren't thinking about that. There were six of us at the time, right? Yeah. I owe you, there were six of us. Yeah. So, um, like, you know, there was nothing had happened negative with Mary or anything like this at this point. And there was no contracts involved. There was nothing, there was nothing tying us anywhere or anything. Um, so then really what happened was he, he did that and that was that. And then we just went home and we were all a little bit like nervousy going, well, we met this guy who manages Boyzone, who made Boyzone famous and successful. Um, you know, but what what do we do? Like, you know, wh- where do we stand? And I don't know if we ever got into the details of this. I don't want to cross, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but sure. there, was a, there was a contract offered for Mary, but it wasn't, it wasn't right for us. And we, we all the family sat together and, you know, it wasn't, because we were all young as well, you know, there were, I was still only 16, you know, um, Shane was 17, Mark was 16, um, I think me and Mark were the youngest. So, you know, we were still very, very young, but we were being offered a contract, mm. you know, and the contract wasn't right. We went to, we went, got legal advice and the legal advice was, this is not right. Mm. But at the same time, this Louis Walsh thing was slowly starting to happen. So, um, Louis then rang us up about a week later and said, I want you to support the Backstreet Boys in the RDS wow. in Dublin. Oh my God. And we were like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, come up. And we were like, when? And he was like, next Friday. We were like, next Friday? Like, <laughs> how the fuck? You know, like, how, 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 like, you know, we were gobsmacked and we were sat in the railway bar yeah. at the time um, across the road from the bus station. I don't know if I think it was called the railway bar then. I can't remember what it was called then. But um, MJ Cars. Yeah, MJ Cars. <laughs> and we were literally floored. We were literally floored. We were like, Oh my God. Like we had actually queued to buy tickets to see this concert because we were in a boy band and wanted to be a boy band. So we were going, what do you mean we're going to go and like support these guys? So anyways, the story goes, we went into Eamon and EJ's. I was working in EJ's at the time and Eamon was giving us clothes. And we're like, Eamon, we need outfits. (laughs) You know, so Eamon kitted us out. And um, up we went and supported the Backstreet Boys. And... um, it was incredible. Like, you know, we, we were playing basketball with them before the show. Uh, you know, we were, we were fans. We were like yeah. in awe, like, yeah. you know, and um, then he just, he, Louis said to us, we did the show the first night 
went great as far as we were concerned, you know. I mean, I don't really remember much apart from a wall and noise of screaming girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on the second night, he called me aside and um, he goes, I want to manage you. I was like, what? He goes, I want to manage you, but I only want to manage 5e. Okay. And I was like, oh no, here we go. Now we kind of had a hint of this as f- the story goes, you know, and like when, when he did put his thumb over the, the, the head back in the day, we came home and we told everyone. We were honest. We weren't, we weren't lying. So we went up to the Backstreet Boys and we all actually sat around and said, now lads, we know what he feels about five. Yeah. Right? So there's a chance here that one of us, like we just said, we, we were open. We were like, there's a chance here that one of us c- could get sidelined here if he wants us or, you know, like we weren't, we weren't really sure, but we were, we were aware. So, um, we, is everybody happy to make that, you know, or t- to take that risk? Yeah. And everybody said, yeah, all six of us said, yeah. And, um, sadly he put his, he, he pointed out who he didn't feel was right. And we came home and we told that person, Derek took it and just got up and walked out of the room and that was that. And we were five. Wow. You know? Wow. So, yeah, that that's how, and then Louis Walsh was our manager. Yeah. And so, Keen, was that the moment, or was it the Backstreet Boys gig, or was it another moment when you felt this is actually going to happen? We are going to be a boy band and we are going to have this success and travel the world, or was that just a gradual thing that built up over um, the years? Yeah, that was a gradual thing. But like this is all happening now in the space. Uh, that last bit of the story all happened in the space of like three months, two months. Yeah. Like, you, you know, the, the CD came out, you know, we did a few gigs, the contract was offered, Louis Walsh was contacted. We're talking like a summer, mm. you know, we're talking like not even a summer, half a summer, you know, it went from nothing to boom. So now look, also you got to remember as well, like, we were rough. We weren't really that good. We were okay, but we weren't really that good. So so Louis started flying in record labels to meet us in, in Dublin. So up we went to Dublin and Simon Cowell was actually the first person that we ever met. And Simon turned around and says, they're not ready. They don't have it. They're not right. I don't know what it is, but they're not right. And Simon didn't want Shane. Simon didn't see it in Shane. He said... Mark is an amazing singer. Keep the blonde guy. <laughs> get rid of the rest. That was that was Louis Simon's line to Louis. But we were all like, "No, Louis, that we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're not doing it." He's like, "Okay, okay, okay." So he flew in a few different other record labels. Nobody bit. Nobody was going for it. And this was around the time now when like pop was like king in the music industry. That's what was selling records. That was what was doing the business. So for all of those things that were going on, there was, it was, wasn't that it was difficult. It wasn't that difficult to get a record deal with a major label. If you were a pop artist, you know, a boy band, girl band, you know, a, um, Billy Piper style thing, you know, like this is what was, this is what they were doing. Um, so they all said no. So Louis was like, this isn't right. We're not, this isn't, this isn't right. And I was the point of contact with Louis at this point now. He was ringing me the whole time going, Key, and this isn't right, this isn't right. And I was like, well, well I don't know, Louis. What, like, you know, so now it's slipping away from us here. Okay. Mm. So we were like, well, well, what do you think is right? And he goes, well, the lineup isn't right, Keen. The lineup isn't right. And I'm like, well, who? who? Who are you talking about? And the next person he went for was Graham. And Graham was my best friend. And I was like, no way, Louis. 
I'm not not doing it without Graham. Like Graham is my best mate. You know, I've grown up with him my whole life. I'm sorry, I can't. And he was like, but we have to. Like, you know, you've seen everybody. They're not going to come back and see you again. And we were like, okay. So I was like, I'm not telling them. <laughs> Do you know, that was, <laughs> I was like, I'm not telling them. But in fairness to Graham, um, Graham was brilliant because Graham kind of felt it coming. You know, like Louis was very good at dropping subtle hints and letting everybody know what he felt was working and what wasn't working. He wasn't mean. He wasn't nasty. He he just, he was just on it. And um, so then Louis rang Graham and Graham said, okay, yeah. And Louis says, but I want you to stay with us. I want you to work with us because you're great, you know, and you're, you're a great choreographer. And he was a great choreographer, Graham. You're a great choreographer and you're great with the boys. And, you know, like, like, will you work with me? You know, will you be the tour manager? So Graham was like, well, yeah, okay. You know, mm, so I'm, mm. I'm still in, involved and around, but I'm not on the stage. But, you know, so Graham kind of accepted that role and, and did that role for a very long time, okay. um, actually, uh, even when we did get the record deal and moved on. But, um, so then we were down to four, but Louis was like, look, five is better, right? Mm. We need an audition. So I went to Dublin. Louis called me up. They had an audition for um, an Irish traditional band. I don't know if they ever actually came out or not, but they were the, the same record label that had Bewitched were trying to put together an Irish trad band, but a pop trad band, if you like. Mm. I think there might have been a band called Rua or something like that that came out of it. I can't remember exactly. So I went and Louis says, right, you're going to come to the audition. You're going to sit upstairs. I'm not going to put on his voice now. <laughs> you're going to come to the audition. <laughs> and you're going to sit upstairs. <laughs> but ba- so what Louis did was, he would he was sat in the audition to help this record label and I was sat upstairs and this was in the 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 same place that everything was happening back then. Um the red box is what it's called yes, now. Yes. I don't even know if it's still open, but in the red box. And I'd sit upstairs. If Louis liked a guy, he'd send him up to me. I'd take their number and their telephone their telephone details and I'd chat to them and I'd start talking to them about, well, we're actually putting a boy band together, you know, and they were like, oh, right, okay. And what do you listen to? And what do you like? And can you sing harmonies? And can you do this? And can you dance? And yeah, la, la, la. So then we got a short list of, say, 15 guys. Mm. And two of them was Brian and Nicky. And um, then about two weeks later, we held our own audition. Louis made it a bit of a public audition, but we also had these 15 guys that came from that audition. And... Nikki and Brian were the first two up on the stage and Shane and Mark and Michael Garrett were the, were the, that was what was left of the original lineup. were sat there and everybody went straight away, they're the best two, you know, Nikki and Brian. I wanted Nikki, the other boys wanted Brian yeah. and it was a bit of like to and fro That We put, we kept the band together as a six, but we knew it was only going to be five. And everybody was aware of that. So now everybody was fighting for their place. Mm. And we flew in a record label and it was Billy Piper's record label. And she had had three number ones at this point, right? So like, this was a huge one for us. We were like, you know, we have to get a record deal with these guys. These are massive. Virgin Records, Virgin, you know, were huge at the time. And they didn't bite. And um, after that, Louis went, you have to make a decision. I only want five. I'm leaving it up to you. All right. So, yeah, that they're, was it. They're massive events, Keen, for 
for any young fella, do you know, like to to have to make these decisions or, or deal yeah. with their best friends in this way, yeah. let alone when a, a, a huge opportunity like this is on the cards. Like, they, they were, must have been tough times and... They were, you yeah. know, they were, they were really tough. And, you know, what was the hardest part of it all was that in one sense, you were making decisions, but in another sense, you were kind of going, well, you know, it could be me. It could be me that's going, you know? So, like, you know, everybody was not fighting. Fighting isn't the right word, but like, you know, the effort was big. You know, everybody was trying really hard. Everybody was... Everybody was like, you know, going, no, that's not good enough, lads. Come on, we got to work hard. And, like, and at this point now, you know, we were performing for people, excuse me. Mm. We were performing for these record labels. We weren't just meeting them. Like we were doing like eight, eight songs, you know, and it was like, you know, that's not right. This isn't right. And like Louis was watching it all going, well, he's working well and he's not working well. And that fella's sitting over there with his feet up and, you know, doesn't really give a toss and he's three hours late and, you know, and missed the train. And mm-hmm. Lots of these different scenarios were happening throughout the whole process. So in a way, as time went on, it was like, well, is something holding us back here? Because let's, let's get rid of something if it's holding us back. So there was tough decisions, but we knew what could come of it if we got it right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that was the real, that was really what it was about, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the passion as well. Like, you know, you could see, you could see from different people that had different passions. Some people weren't really interested in the music or the, the, they were more interested in the polls or, you know, like sure. there was lots of different elements that was going on in the situation. I remember it all like it was yesterday. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and th- that's that's what happened, and and that's how Westlife formed. That's how Westlife formed. Yeah, that's how Westlife formed. I remember um, I was out of the country for a year after finishing school, so ninety eight, ninety nine, and I remember my mum sending me over, uh, cutting from the Sligo Champion. Oh yeah, when you boys got a record label or a record, a record deal. deal, yeah, and. I just looked at it and go, this is unbelievable. Because yeah. back then, well, still any time in music, a record deal is, that's almost like you've made it. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. and then the more I hear about the music industry, there's so much, you know, you you don't necessarily make it once you get a record deal. Well, definitely not today. Yeah. No, definitely yeah. not. But well, that's a huge step towards it. Yeah. I think back then, um, you know, we did Simon, Simon Cowell in the end. So how we got the record deal in the end, after that Virgin meet, um, they said no to us. Louis flew Simon back in and the guy who had boys on all in one day. And the five of us got up and we were slick and we were, we were tight and both of them offered us a deal there and then. Simon Cowell turned around after 30 seconds and went, I want them, you know. And then it was a case of us sitting down. We sat down with Simon Cowell as a band and we sat down with, with Polydor, which was the label at the time, a guy called Colin Barlow. Mm. And it was, it was left to us. Louis was like, you choose. And we were like, what? what? <laughs> you choose which one you want to sign with. The power has shifted all of a sudden. Wow. But I mean, the way Simon talked, it was like, he was like, I see you guys as like, you know, an NSYNC, you know? <laughs> and like, you know, I'm going to get you with Max Martin. And we were like, so Max Martin, for anybody who doesn't know, is like literally the most successful songwriter of all time has written probably 90% of the songs that are on radio for the last 30 years, yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, just Google him. Yeah. I won't get into detail. Just Google him. So he was like, I'm, and as soon as he dropped Max Martin's name, we were like, 
bang, we want you. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, he, the other fellow wasn't, was dropping great names, but he wasn't dropping Max Martin. <laughs> and he had Boyzone. And all we wanted to do was put out Boyzone's fire. <laughs> <laughs> A bit of competition always helps, like, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. It does, it yeah. does. But you're, I suppose what's coming through to me, Keen, here is your drive mm. and the hunger yeah. that, that was in you for all this, you know? And that obviously was a massive factor in, in, in your yeah, success over we the were, years. We were we were into it big yeah. time. Like, you know, we were giving up our lives. We didn't care. We I remember because Shane and Mark um, were doing the Leaving Cert and Mark really wanted to finish Leaving Cert and we had gotten the record deal now at this stage and we were waiting for it all to start. And I was like, why? <laughs> what, do you, what do you care about your Leaving Cert for? You just got a record deal, man. You know? <laughs> And like, uh, and with Simon Cowell, Simon Cowell had five at this point as well. Five had just broke and they were like, to us, they were cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had like cool music and yeah. it was Max Martin that was writing the tunes. Nice. So we were like, we want to get going here. Now we'd started recording a little bit um, at that point uh, during that summer. But yeah, we were itching to get going. Itching. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. And so when it all got going, Keen. and okay, Swear It Again's your first number yeah. one, Flying Without Wings, you know, the hits keep coming. Yeah, what's that feeling like? Is that is or or was the biggest feeling getting the record deal, or how does it all compare? Uh, you know, as as you get bigger weird, and yeah, bigger, because you know, like it just it it, it kind of came so quick that it was like, you know, we were in the recording. The first two songs we ever recorded were "Swear It Again" and "Flying Without Wings," and that was with Steve Mack in London that summer. And um, you know, I remember coming home with on cassette with the demos of, of Swear It Again and Flying Out Wings and playing them to people and people were going, what? Wow, these are these are like amazing songs. And we were like, yeah, 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 yeah. We were like, yeah, feels really good, feels really good. And then we went on tour with Boyzone and we sang those songs on tour with Boyzone. And, um, you know, Graham was our tour manager yeah. and Graham came out on the, on the tour with us and, you know, we went on tour and it, it didn't really feel like it was clicking with the audience, we were like, what was wrong? You know, Simon was like, what's wrong? It's not really great. You know, the reaction is good, but it's not amazing. But I think that was always the case. You know, these people had never seen us before. And the more I've learned now is that like, actually our reaction was a lot bigger than the support bands that I've seen since come through, you know, and support us. And, you know, I've even managed a band that I've put on support with lots of other people. So like, you know, um, yeah, it was definitely interesting. But then, I don't know, kind of like we did that, we did the Smash Hits Roadshow. I think that was the first click. Um, and there was a there was um, a prize for Best New Artist. And we were up against, um, we were up against an American boy band, which then eventually became the script. Um, they were called, um, not Old Town, as My Town. Right. Yeah. And My Town, if you Google My Town, are now the script. Um, so that'll give you, give you an idea of where that, that went and A1 were another boy band and oh, I can't remember the other act but so we won the the best new touring act or whatever it was called and I think that was the start of it and then Simon was like okay Swear It Again is the first single so we went off shot the video for Swear It Again released it we weren't expecting much we were like you know maybe top 20 maybe now apparently they were expecting what they got which was a number one and they rang, so back then, well, it still exists now, you have a midweek. So mm. midweek chart would come in on a Tuesday morning and they hid the midweek chart from us because we were number one. And we were number one by, let's say, there was 100,000 sales. We were 
100,000 and number two was 50 or 40. So like we were way out ahead. So they were like, this isn't, they're number one. There's no way they're not going to be number one. And they hid that too. And they got that midweek then, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You don't get one on a Saturday and then Char comes out on a Sunday. So they told us on the Friday, it looks like you're going to be number one. And I remember that day clearly we were in Pete Waterman's studio and we were recording I Have a Dream at the time and Seasons in the Sun, which ended up being the fourth single. Mm. And we just jumped around. We were like, you know, we were just jumping around like lunatics, you know, like absolute lunatics. But I don't know if I ever remember it actually all happening. It just all happened, you know, like the story, it just kept rolling. Yeah. You know, it just kept coming. We didn't, we didn't know what to expect, you know? Yeah. I just imagine. Yeah, imagine that, like, that moment when someone said, well, I'm sure you can't imagine it, but I'm just thinking in my head, someone walking into effectively a bunch of kids and saying, they, they love you. Everything you've been working towards and all the hardship yeah. and all the hard work and they love you. It yeah. must have been like, oh my God, lads, this is it. It was, it really was. It was like, it, it was, I mean, like, I actually probably still feel it now, you know, as much as I did that day. Like, you know, it was. And it's a fairy tale crazy. Like, okay, it's fairy tale for me. I And I do always say that, especially after telling the story that I've just told, because there was three guys left left mm. left back mm. that it wasn't fairy tale for, you know. Um, if anything, it was probably nightmare scenario for them, bless them. And, you know, it... it, it it pains me to talk about it. It hurts me to talk about them. Yeah. You know, I still feel them, feel for them as much today as I did then, you know. Mm. Um, but, but you know, on the other side of the coin, it was, it was, it was incredible, yeah. you know. Yeah, wow. Fast forward a few years, Keen. I mean, uh, the hits kept coming, as you said, it kept rolling yeah. and the band had massive success uh, throughout the noughties and, and into the, 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 the last decade. Um, you uh, kindly and your wife kindly invited myself and Sinead to your show in Crow Park last summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was my first Westlife gig. Was it really? Yeah, my <laughs> yeah, first okay, Westlife great, gig. Great. And that was a good one to come to then. That was a great one. That was a great one. And I just, like, I knew all the songs and it was like, I, I, I suppose my experience at Crow Park up to that was football. Yeah. And so in a football match, half the crowd is for one team and half the crowd is for another team. Yeah. So you never actually get the full stadium roaring at the same time yeah, yeah, because yeah. only half the crowd are roaring the other half are quiet of course but on a Westlife gig everyone is there <laughs> for you guys and yeah. so I'd never heard the noise from the crowd yeah, in right. Crow Park as I heard that yeah. evening the other thing that struck me was the incredible pride uh, for me sitting there as a Sligo man same age as you guys yeah. uh, you know these guys from my hometown standing on the stage there putting on this unbelievable show uh, and and it just it just hit me that that these you know these guys are at the top of their game, but they're ambassadors for Sligo. Mm. They they show our town and our county up so well, and that that's what really struck me, Keen. Um, Sligo, I'm guessing, is a huge part of your life. You've you've oh, chosen yeah. you've chosen to live here. Yeah. You could have lived, I'm sure, many places in the world. Yeah. Um, what what is it about the place that brought you back? Um, well, you know, I married an English girl, so um, I think. I suppose when I got married, there was a bit of me that thought I'd probably always end up in England. But um, I started surfing. I started surfing in my mid-twenties. And, you know, we all grew up in Sligo. We all, as adults now, look at Sligo and go, it's a beautiful place. But as a child, you're not. You're not paying attention to that. You're not paying attention (laughs) to the mountains and the rivers and the sea and this and that and the other. But um, I was playing golf with my dad one day. I was home from touring or whatever, and I was playing golf with my dad one day. 
and um, we were we were on this. I think it's the seventh. No, yes, yeah, the seventh, which runs along Strandall Beachfront. Yes. And uh, I was like, wow, look at all them fellas out there in the water, like bopping up and down in wetsuits. You know, I always fancied myself as a bit of a beach bum, you know, and I was mad for like the nice holidays. Now, you know, if I went on holidays, I always wanted to go to the beach. You know, I was a the beach, 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 beach. Mm-hmm. So he goes, why don't you give it a try? So I went down to Tom Hickey, um, perfect day in Strand mm-hmm. Hill. And I said to Tom, Tom had done basketball with me as a young fella. Um and um, I says, oh, Tom, I didn't realise you were doing this. Oh, I'd love to have a surf lesson. And he was like, would you really? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When do you want to go? I was like, now. <laughs> <laughs> so he took me surfing and I fell in love with surfing. Um, so that started drawing me back to Sligo a lot more because now when I came home to Sligo, rather than just sitting around with nothing to do, which really was when I didn't have work in Sligo, my work was Westlife and, you know, as time was going on, we were realising, okay, we needed more and more breaks and we needed longer breaks because when we went for it, we went for it hard. We could be gone for a year. We could be gone, we could be on tour for 190 days with no day off, you know, like it was, it was, it was gruelling. Like the first five, six years, we, we gruelled it. Like I don't debate that for a second. And anybody that works in the music industry will tell you the same about Westlife. We had a good name for being workhorses. Um, so, Coming home to Sligo, I all of a sudden had this thing that was surfing. And then that opened my whole eyes to surfing, not just as a sport, but the ocean, you know, I started paying attention to things that I hadn't paid attention to before. And then I started going on holidays around the world and started surfing all around the world. But as time went on and all the, any surfer that's listening to me will be like, shut up, don't be telling everybody. <laughs> yep. the, waves are, the waves are better here than they are anywhere else. And as time went on, I slowly realized that. And then, you know, I formed a very good friendship with a lot of people outside of any walk of life I ever had, which was surfing. And none of them were treating me like your man from Westlife. I was what was known as a kook, which is a beginner surfer who would get in everybody's way and, you know, all of that. And get out of the water, you fucking kook, you know, type (laughs) attitude. And I'd be like, oh, Jesus, this is tough. Like, you know. But eventually I worked my way and worked my way and I started learning how to surf properly and they slowly opened the doors and I became one of the surfers in Strand Hill and one of the lads in Strand Hill and I had a big group of friends and it was just a totally different world, totally different place altogether and it was an amazing escape from what I was doing with, with Westlife. So then I got a house in Strand Hill for that reason and slowly started... You know, when when I got married with my wife and we started talking about the idea of where we were going to live, you know, I also had an apartment in London. So London and Strand Hill, that was where I was, over back, over back. And I was like, well, you know, like I grew up in the west coast of Ireland and, you know, she was like, what's that? (laughs) You know, know, she never heard of Sligo and I brought her over and she was like, oh yeah, it's it's nice, you know, there's a beach, you know. (laughs) And then slowly, 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 as the years rolled on, you start, you know, well, where's the best place to bring up a family? Where's the best place to do this? Where's the best place to do that? And really, when you look at Sligo, I mean, it's ex- extremely safe. You know, the schools are great. It's a beautiful place. The people are are fantastic, you know, like, and and it was just felt right. It was just like, you know what, this, this is the place. Mm. There's, you know, and we'd looked at California. We'd looked at Australia. We'd looked at all these places, but none of them felt like, they could beat Sligo. And okay. and even for Jodie now, like, you know, um, I mean, her mom passed away and I think that we came here full time after her mum passed away. But even before that, she was 
she was very much like, yeah, I think this is the better lifestyle. Because, you know, what was the other option? London? You know, I mean, London is a very, very tough place to bring up a family. And we moved to the outskirts of London in the end. Um, but even at that, you're still an hour in the car to get them onto the bloody main road, mm-hmm. you know, to get them to school. Mm-hmm. So that was the thought pattern. We didn't even have kids at this point. Yeah. Well, and then when we had our first kid, it was like slowly, slowly, slowly. It was like, okay. Yeah. Well, watching your young fella shredding Strand Hill, like you've <laughs> yeah. made like the definitely the best choice for him. For anyone who doesn't know, Keen's kids, man, they're like the next up and coming surfers out of oh, Strand Hill. They're unreal. Like, Co's on the way, yeah. Unreal. But yeah. yeah, and that's where we just were today. Actually, I think I passed you. You were out cycling with the family, were you? I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I passed you in the van. We were going out to Dunmore. Ah, uh, very good. Yeah, nice. yeah. So we went out there surfing. But yeah, I mean, you do a bit of surfing yourself? Just a little bit, man. I'm, I'm still a cook 10 years on, you know what I mean? I haven't <laughs> quite cook, integrated. Cook. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's an amazing sport. It's yeah, an yeah, for sure. amazing yeah. sport. Yeah. Keen, you mentioned something there that I, I wouldn't mind asking you about, oh. which was the... Um, the difference between, I suppose, Key and the guy in Westlife yeah. and Key and the man who you are and the fellow you know inside, that must have been a tough balance to strike, I guess, growing up because so many people are, are looking at Key and the guy from Westlife, but, yeah. but that's you in your work mode. That's not necessarily yeah. you as, as the person you are. Yeah, well, I think as you get older and as you, you move on, you know, I mean, okay, when I was younger, I didn't really care. I was like, whatever, you know, like I just, just getting on with it, just doing it, you know, probably was a bit of arrogance involved as, you know, I don't know, not to say as expected, but like, you know, look, there's no debate that when something like that in your life happens, arrogance creeps in and not arrogance, but like just a little bit of like, well, yeah, it is, it's arrogance. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and then you, then you start to realise, you know, I'm just a person, like, you know, like I'm no different than anybody else. You know, I'm just a human being. And of course, we're all just human beings, you know, and, and then just after, as the years rolled on, Karen, I just am who I am, you know, I mean, I do my job no more than anybody else. I mean, I'm very lucky that my job is, is what it is. And, and I, and I love it dearly. Um, But, you know, I just try and be, being myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. and just ignore. I just kind of ignore it all. The hardest thing, really, if I'm truly honest, is people's expectation of you. You know, it's like or not expectation, but like people assume that you're a certain way. That's probably the best thing to, to describe it. I mean, and I, I I find that wall sometimes quite hard to break down with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one of my one of my mates, uh, a very good friend of me, friend of mine, now said to me, he goes, "Yeah, I didn't really want to be your mate," and I was like, "Well, why not?" And he goes, "Well." Because you're your man from Westlife, like, you know, it's right. like, I don't want people to think that I'm just your mate because you're your man from Westlife. And I was like, well, yeah, that's the story of my life, right. you know? Yeah. And and it still happens. Yeah. Still happens, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's, then the feeling of finding a crew who see it as something else, it, well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a big I mean, one. The surfing, the surfing yeah. definitely did that. Yeah. The surfing yeah. definitely did that. Keen, I just want to uh, ask, you, ask you about one more area, if you don't mind, before course, we finish. Yeah. Um, so go back to the show in Crow Park. Yeah. Right. Um, I was watching it and, you know, I put on shows, as, as you know, in Sligo and yeah. on a completely different stage, I've completely been. different level. But, <laughs> but, but these shows, like I was just looking at it as a, as a, from a producing point of view. Production, yeah, yeah. How, how do you even start? So, okay, uh, yeah. I'm talking about set list. I'm talking about a band. I'm talking about a light show. I'm talking about your little comments to the audience. Yeah. Like there's so much in there. It's, it works so slickly together. Yeah. Um, how do you even start? 
Um, well, set list is normally number one. Okay. Um, normally when we sit down and we go, when we're, when we're putting a tour together, we go, okay, set list, let's start set list, lads. Um, it's generally me and Mark um, that kind of do set list stuff. And then the boys will chip in and go, oh, I don't know about that one there. I don't know about that one there. And really set list is all about flow. Yes, you know, tell us about your view on a set list. This would be re- really interesting well, for the listeners. Open with a bang. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to open with a bang. You got to open with a, like a, a crowd pleaser, floor filler, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, and a Westlife set list is quite challenging because it's ballad heavy, as as we know. It's slowly changing as the years are rolling on. Yeah. Um, the second part of our career, we've more up tempos than we do ballads these days. But um, so, you know, we always looked for a big up tempo, you know, opener and then you don't want it to go from a big up tempo even though that Crow Park show we did but there was a different reason for that um, but we we tried to like slow it down gradually and then slow it down into a sing-along you know um, we always chop our shows up into sections as well so that it kind of gives it kind of gives like different themes different you know, so you might do five songs in the first section and then we'll come off stage, we'll change costume, we'll come back out. So set w- section one, section two, section three, section four, section five. Section five is always the encore. Mm. So you go, okay, well, what are we going to close? So it's almost like, what do you start on, what do you close on? Mm. And then you, you come together and meet in the middle and try and get the flow and the balance right um, of tempo versus ballads or, you know, some songs you might string together deliberately because they flow into each other nicely mm all right, let's chop a chorus out of that one. Let's chop the middle eight out of that one so that, you know, they just just go through and all of a sudden you're into the next song and the crowd are like, oh, yay, let's sing along with that one. So, and and with a Westlife audience, it is a sing-along. That's that's the idea. So it's like, you know, get them to the sing-along, get them to the sing-along and never play a song they don't know. We done it before, like even, even album tracks that you think the album has sold five million copies and... We love track eight. You go out and you play it and it falls flat in its ass and you're yeah, like, yeah. it's night two, drop that song. Yeah, 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 yeah. But well, yeah. Okay, so you got the set list. That's yeah. number one and that dictates then the rest of the, the rest of what happens. So the second is creative. Mm. Second is creative. And what, what I mean by that is like, okay, what's the idea? How, what, what is, what, what's the stage look like? You know, so we're putting on a, an arena show or a stadium show. It's like, what, what is it? Is it, is it big screens? Is it like something that floats? Is it, you know, what's the, what's the creative? Mm. Um, and we normally have a creative director for that. So that's somebody who's hired in. Um, and the guy on the Crow, Crow Park show is a guy called Brian Burke. He was, he's a Vegas uh, guy. Um, he does a lot of Vegas shows. He does a lot of like, uh, he does America's Got Talent and things like that. Mm. And he would bring along the lighting, his lighting guy. Okay. So they will, they'll sit down with us, they'll have a meeting with us and they'll go, okay, so what are you into? You know, let's talk ideas. So we try to spend an hour throwing out a few ideas. Then they go, okay, lovely to meet you. We'll be back in a few weeks. And they come back a few weeks later with a big fancy presentation of what it is. And then you sit there and you go, thank you very much. Lovely to meet you. And they leave the room. We love your idea. And then you go to the production manager. And how much is that going to cost? Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get into the finances. And then then you start figuring out, okay, well, you know, if we, if we do everything that they want us to do, like there was one year they, they had like a, a waterfall on the stage and it would have cost us a half a million quid to do it for the, for the whole tour. And right. it only lasted for 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's like, it's things like that. And it's like, you know, well, we don't need 25 screens. Let's have 20. Mm. We don't need 
8,000 lights, let's have 6,000 lights, mm-hmm. you know, and you start trying to figure it out and then it gets into trucking, it gets, I mean, then it gets into full-blown, like, production manager, budgets, break it down, figure it out, you know, and you roll it from there. And then it comes into styling and the costumes and, like, you know, the budget for that. I mean, and and it kind of just slowly starts piecing together. But, you know, then when it comes to what we do, we would spend about five weeks with a choreographer. Um, then we would go from the choreographer to the band, to the MD. We'd go through the, we'd go through the set list with the MD. We'd give them our ideas for the intros, the outros, you know, where we want the song to chop, where we want to put it together. Then we'd go, we'd listen to the band, like in a setting like this with our headphones, the band would play it live, but now we'd have like certain things on, on track that would play along with the band. So everything's in our headphones. Mm. So we're like, mm, no, the guitar needs to come in there a little bit more rocky or you know you'd be there looking at the drum and you'd be like no hit that yeah, yeah, hit yeah. that you know yeah. bad bad you know on that note on that note so there you know so you're getting a feel then for like what it's sounding like and you know so it's a, it's a long process you're looking at about eight weeks rehearsals but probably six to eight months from the start to get it going wow yeah okay. Okay. It's a big production. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing listening to yeah. that detail. Um and something strikes me key like, you know, you hear you hear lots of things about Westlife and one thing that I've heard over the years and this is a complete generalization I'm sure, but it does have a certain amount of truth to it listening to you. People say Westlife that's Keen's band. You know, <laughs> Keen makes all the calls. Keen makes all the big decisions. And it's it's funny listen to you, even the way like you were pointing. It's not my band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have such a handle on all this stuff, man. Like it, it's really yeah. you know. I mean, you... I love the workings of it. Yeah, I love the workings of it. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, um, like the first. There's two parts to Westlife's career, right? There's the first part, yeah, and then there was the breakup, and yeah. now there's the second part. Yeah. The second part is very, very different yeah. than the first part. Yeah. The first part was very much me pushing everybody. Come on, lads, what are you doing? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, you know. Yeah. and you know, sometimes I probably push a little bit too hard. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, I definitely, I definitely was. Um, I don't know why. I think just myself and Louis' relationship became very, very tight throughout the process, and. I was the point of contact within the band for Louis. So when Louis wanted to get something across, he'd ring me and then I would then go to the boys and be like, this is what we need to do mm. according to Louis. Mm. You know, not everybody would agree with what Louis wanted to do apart from me. Yeah. So yeah. I'd have to drive that. But no, it's definitely not my band. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, everybody in the band has is very vocal. We're, we're very... You know, we run we run a tight ship. Like mm. you know, the four of us sit around and discuss absolutely everything throughout the whole process. You mm. know, Mm-mm. tell us, uh, Keen. You just mentioned the guitar, and I saw just come back to that show. You played guitar yeah. during the show. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're sitting at home and you're just jamming away on your guitar, and it's not Westlife stuff, <laughs> what 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 do you like to play? What Metallica. You, Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, like I learned the Black album from start to finish when it came out. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I got the Black Album book in the record room and that was it. I never stopped playing it. Uh, and I still play it. Uh, Seek and Destroy would have been, not. that's not Black Album, but yeah. um, look, Heavy Metal was where I started. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Heavy Metal yeah. was where I started. I, I, I loved, it was the first, my first ever album was Injustice for All. Um, you know, I think I was like eight or nine. Because yeah. um, I had two older brothers, uh, Gavin, who, is a professional musician. Yeah. Um, he was a piano master 
no more than yourself um, and guitar master and then he went off to England he taught me piano when I was a young fella nice. and then my older brother Tom he started playing in bands and as soon as he started playing in bands I was like I'm going to be in bands yeah. you know and he was four years older than me yeah. so um, Gavin had left an old black Les Paul copy behind him so I just picked that up started teaching myself guitar he had taught me piano but nobody ever taught me guitar the only guitar lessons I ever had was from uh, Francie Lenhin okay. uh, in the front of Equinox <laughs> <laughs> Francie on a Thursday night for about six weeks and all he taught us a, a blues lick Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. basically what Francie taught us yeah. Um, but yeah I mean you know guitar was guitar was the passion for me at the start right. as, yeah. a, as a young teen yeah yeah well, amazing how it's travelled from from those days, Keen, to where yeah, it is now. I know. Um, weird, huh? <laughs> weird is right, man. But a great story. And thanks yeah. for coming in and sharing Not with us. Um, Westlife have a new single out recently yeah. called Starlight. You can yeah. stream it now. Yeah. And you have a new album coming out next month. The end of this month. Oh, uh, yeah. November. Yeah. yeah. November 26th. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, some big news coming in the next few weeks about shows and stuff like that. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah, look, it's great. After the pandemic, I think, Jesus, everybody just wants to get back at it, right? You know, yeah. I mean, get back to what we love doing. Yeah. No more, I mean, I think music is, I, I, the whole way through the pandemic, I felt so bad, like, you know, for, for the musicians of the country, like, it was, wasn't even being talked about. It was so frustrating. Like, you'd hear everybody going on about, like, this industry being shut down and that industry being shut down. Like, forget about the Westlife industry. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about, like, the guy who, like, relies on the gig, you know, on a Friday night, for for the hundred euros or whatever it may be, I I, yeah. I don't even know yeah. what what type of money they'd get, but yeah. you know, I was just like Jesus, like you know, nobody's even talking about that. I felt yeah. that really odd. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's the lack of a a union or the lack of a a voice. That, and yeah. I think I think we found that in that industry. Yeah, yeah. And, and and as it went on, as the pandemic went on, little bodies were formed, and there was a bit more noise made. But certainly yeah. for most of it, you're right, Kane. There yeah. wasn't. And then and then the crews, like you know, uh, like. The, the type of crew that we would use, you're talking about a hundred people, right? That would like rely, walk off our tour and onto another tour. Right. Nothing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they got the, the, the payment stuff. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So what are you looking forward to most about coming out of all this? You're, you're uh, obviously the album, the shows. Is that is that going to be a yeah, big I one for you getting at, back on stage? At, at the start, it's always about releasing the first single, you know, and the anticipation of what, how's it going to do? How's it going to be received? Yeah, Starlight cert certainly seems to be received very well amongst the Westlife audience anyways. I mean, you know, it's all it's all about like, does it reach further than just the Westlife audience? And Starlight certainly seems to, in the UK, it's just been added to Radio 2 A-list um, a week ahead of where it should be. So that's that's really, really positive. Right. Um, and, you know, it seems to be doing the business for us everywhere, yeah. you know, internationally as well. Um and then after that, it's like, okay, get the album out. What's the anticipation there? And then get a tour going, get the tour going. So, uh, but really the best part is standing on stage, you know, I mean, like for me anyways, Mark will say he loves the recording studio more than anything else. Um, I don't, I'm like, yeah. I'm out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I want to go surfing. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I've sang that part 25 times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you not have it yet? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean like, yeah, getting on stage. Yeah, You're going to have to release a statement to publicans, I think, when you do release your tour dates. You were up at the gig. I didn't get to go to the gig the last you time you played in, in Crow Park. I was, I was working and I couldn't go. It was like a mass exodus out of Sligo. And then <laughs> for the people who remained, it was like, you know, all their mates were at this Westlife gig. It was a huge deal. 
so it was like everyone's Instagrams was all Westlife tunes. So then all the pubs had to play oh for the rest of us. So like I, I went to town that night because there was a bit of buzz around the place. Yeah. And every pub, it was just Westlife, Westlife, That's Westlife. Mental. And it was just like out of nowhere, just this kind of like there was nobody around. And for the few that were left around, it was like just put on Westlife. It's that night. It's that. And it was, it was See, a really kind of pride I, I, thing. Honest to God, I'd love to be you that night. <laughs> yeah, I'd, say, I'd yeah. love to witness that. It just blows my brain that 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 type of stuff even happens. Yeah. You know? It's so weird. It's so weird. But that's the, that's the other thing that, like, I was seeing, you know, you talked about the screaming teenage girls at the start. Like, there was them at the concert too, who, who weren't born yeah, when Swear It Again came out or yeah. who weren't born when Flying Without Wings what came I out. What I think happened there though is that you got the mommies and daddies, or the mommies, not the daddies, yeah. who are now our age yeah. and still playing Westlife and the kids are having no bloody choice but to listen to it, you yeah, know? Yeah, and then yeah. slowly they're being brought up. I mean, it's bec- what, what I find so lovely about a Westlife gig now, especially in Ireland, it's a family affair. It's incredible, like, you know, yeah. and the lads, I'm, we're like, we're like, where did all these lads come out yeah, of? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, just like all these like mid twenties lads that are yeah. like, yeah, 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 well, yeah. I'll give you one about that. That night that I was talking about, I went into Lily's bar um, and they were, they were bashing out Westlife and there's a bartender in there called Jamie Colley. He does a bit of surfing out Strand Hill. I don't okay. know if you've ever ran into him. But somebody put on someone else and he shot it. Dave's behind the bar, shot it down. Nothing else, lads. There's a Westlife <laughs> night. Like, like nothing else. Yeah. Uh, all over his Instagram was like, down to Lily's, lads. If you didn't make it to Crow Park, in here. And he's mad about it. Like, That's I was steady. like, unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give tickets to all of them people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There'll be no one in Sligo next time. <laughs> well, that's the hope. Yeah. Look, Hopefully we'll play Sligo. Huh? That would be good. Oh, oh wouldn't that be amazing? It's been, a, it's been a very tough day. It's the thing that we've pushed hard for throughout the years. Every time we've played Sligo, just so everybody knows the push has come from us um, but it has been very very difficult yeah. and it's been very difficult to try and get the licences and the la 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 all the different things that come with it so okay well we're always trying if people are listening out there that can make these decisions please yeah. make it easy for Westlife to come next time that would be monumental yeah, yeah it, it would, would. It, it, really would. Be would. Epic. it really would it'd be epic Keen Egan thank you so much for coming in thank and chatting it was a pleasure and uh, all the best with everything that's yeah. happening in the next few months thanks so much lads Small-town boy with big-town dreams Whole wide world is yours for the taking When you're young, at least that's the way it seems I love those long, hot summer nights Find that hill out on the edge of town Let the sparks fly underneath that purple sky Watch the nights come up Somewhere down. Home was where the grass was always green. Home was where I'd always been. Watching those nights come up while the sun goes down. High on love, up on higher ground. The sun goes down I hit the road I went traveling Playing with the guitar band We hit the big time Just at 
time for me and you You take your chances when you can Yeah Home was never fun behind Yeah You were never off my mind Watching those lights come up While the sun goes down Another crowd In another nameless town I wanna climb back up Up on higher ground Watching those lights come up While the sun goes down Say that life is what you choose So I'm going back I'm looking back Putting on my small town shoes I'm going back to where I was before yeah. To where my heart belongs and always will I'm walking down your street I knock upon your door We'll go climbing up that hill I'm coming home Yeah, I'm coming back your way I'm coming home Girl, I'm coming home to stay Watching those nights come up While the sun goes down With my small town shoes Back on small town ground I'm going climb that hill Out on the edge of town Watching the lights come up while the sun goes down Lights come up while the sun goes down Lay my soul down on hot low ground Go out from that hill on the edge of town Watching the lights come up while the sun goes down That was Lights Come Up, written and performed, all instruments and vocals by Luke Devaney. As part of the video, Dancing Landscapes of Sligo, which was a Temperhand production from earlier this year. Rory Maitland, it's time for your big moment once again on the show. Dun, dun, dun. What have you got recommended for us this week? If your life is feeling grey, like a dull and cloudy day, Chase your blues away Rory recommend you Something to defend you From the boredom that offends you You'll also fix your hairdo It's Rory Recommends Right, lads, I was talking to a few people about this segment and they love it. They love hearing about the, the various different things that they could do at the weekends and things that they could try, etc, etc. But... One lad did say to me, he's like, we need a little bit of softer recommendations that we can just do on an old Friday or a Sunday that we don't need to drag the family up out of bed to go cliff diving or go and seeing games. So I thought we'd have an old soft one this week. Is that all right? Beautiful. Okay. So this is a recommendation to hopefully inspire what you watch on either Friday or Saturday night this week. Hmm. Very simple. In 2019, the documentary that won Best Feature Documentary was a documentary called Free Solo. Does anyone know what free soloing is? I think I do. 
Right, go go for it. Isn't that when uh, boys go rock climbing but they want to die? It's yeah, <laughs> it would almost seem like that. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's it's a it's a form of rock climbing uh, where, where I suppose lunatics take part in it, <gasps> where they don't uh, they don't put on harnesses or ropes. All that they climb with, they, sometimes they don't even bring water with them. Mm. They climb with a with a chalk bag hanging off the back of their belt, and they climb these pretty tall. The face of Yosemite and these mad, like, Just yeah. with no ropes. And what you're talking about there, that face of Yosemite, it's a, it's a climbing route called El Capitan. Mm. Um, and Alex Honnold uh, attempts uh, throughout this uh, documentary to climb El Capitan, one of the most difficult uh, climbing routes uh, in Yosemite National Park. He tries to do it with no ropes and no harness. Lads, not joking. Sweat in the palm of the hands while you're watching it. You'll be sitting on the edge of your seat. It's, uh, it's probably not the most relaxing thing you'll ever watch, but it certainly gets the brain firing. Um, because although we started out kind of joking about these guys being kind of lunatics he's possibly the most calculated man you'll ever see on the screen the mm. way he, he has a great line in it he says somebody asks actually who asks him is a guy called Jimmy Chin he's, he's one of the directors of this piece and he says to him do you get nervous on the rock and he says it's happened a few times but if I get nervous on, on the rock face something has gone very very wrong so that's my recommendation for this week. Uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to do a thumbs up or thumbs down because I don't believe anyone on the team has seen it. No, but we might. Jesus, if one of us watches it, we might just circle back on it in the weeks coming and we might just say whether we enjoyed it or not. Absolutely. And if you do watch it, if you're struggling for something to watch this Friday or this Saturday and you do watch it, do get in contact and let us know how you felt about it or how it went or whatever. But it's a really good film. It's called Free Solo. Uh, and you can, Where can you find it, Rory? You can get it on Disney Plus. Uh, you can buy it on YouTube, or you can get it wherever you other, wherever you get your stuff on the yeah, line. It's kind of like you know wherever you wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get your films. Yeah, you, just but. your luck. I love you. I love Georgia. So yeah, if you do watch it, uh, make sure to uh, to tag us on Instagram at In the Lamplight Pod, uh, and we'll hear what you thought about it. So that's Rory recommends for this week, lads. Woo. Great stuff. All right, that is Rory Recommends. That is the end of this week's show. Thank you to Keen Egan for coming in and chatting. Uh, thank you to Rory and no to Luke <laughs> and to Michal. It's great to have you back, man, and we look forward to you joining us in the studio hopefully next week. Oh, not thanking you this week, Kieran. You got thanked last week. And, yeah, I yeah. got five or six thanks last week. Yeah. That'll do us for Christmas. Yeah. All right, Lovely. good luck. Good luck, good night.